This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined, as always, by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how's it going? Metcalf, doing good this week. Um, just another, you know, another way to talk basketball with you. We get we get excited. The season is progressing. I'm in a little different setup today because, I, you know, I have Pup Watch. I'm on Pup Watch, so if I disappear for a quick second, it's because I'm, yeah, I'm avoiding a catastrophe, but... You know, the show must go on, as Queen once said, and uh, I'm really excited to to keep doing a couple of these with you. We're getting close, Metcalf. I feel it's it's coming around the corner. How are you doing? I am extraordinary. It's uh, it's wedding week for me, um, so very excited. Uh, Congrats. This will be posted after that, so we're, we're doing a little bit of time traveling here. Um, but yeah, I'm just busy week, exciting week, um, and it it's wild how close the, the basketball kind of keeps creeping up on us. And it's wild how many other degenerates like us are out there and are actually listening to these preseason breakdowns in August and September. And that is incredible to me and I'm really appreciative. And, you know, it's just kind of, kind of cool how much the space is growing. It's been pretty cool. Like me and you were talking the other day, we're like, all right, let's, let's start getting back into the swing of things, even if it's a little early and, you know, we know it's the off season for a lot of degenerates, but um, everyone gets the itch sooner or later. But me and you were talking the other day, and we're like, "Well, whoa, whoa, there's the audience is really back. We love you guys." So thank you um, for everyone listening. It it's just really funny. You know, um, I'm not trying to be big headed here, but like it it's funny how you kind of get excited, and then all of a sudden it just takes something like as small as seeing the audience, and you're just like, "All right, I'm back. Like, let, let's get rolling." Like. Now and we had a um, we had a group meeting for no ceilings, kind of like the uh, the welcome back meeting, if we want to put it that way. Kind of uh, just finally getting ready, saying hello to everyone, and it was funny leaving that because I was like, "All right, fuck it, here we go, like, <laughs> year two, let's get ready, like let's get." It, it's it really does feel like uh, you know everything's about to get cooking again, and and I'm excited. Year two is going to be fantastic. I can't believe how awesome year one was, but. And thank you, Metcalf. You know, I'm getting a little off track right now, okay. but thank you for your one. Uh, enough gratitude. We're, we're getting a little too mushy-gushy here. So. No, we'll stop it. <laughs> but no, I, I, I am really excited to talk about these guys today because I'm i fascinated to hear your opinions. Um, we haven't talked much, but I've gotten some hint, hints about uh, how you feel about these guys, uh, you know, before we came into this recording. And today we're obviously saw, uh, talking about I'm sorry, Thompson and Amari Bailey. Um, let's talk with talk about Thompson first. And I, I know a lot of other podcasts are pairing Amen and Ausar in the 
same podcast. I specifically wanted to separate them because I do think they are really different players. Um, and I think they need to be treated as such. I, you know, once we go, go through our stars game, I want to do a little, you know, comparison, uh, some compare and contrast to him and his brother, but first with our what jumped off the screen when you first watched him? You know, watching the twins, it's, it's pretty fascinating because, um, Everyone's going to talk about, you know, how explosive, how exciting they are, their type of shots, um, really struggling with the shots. Sorry, I have a puppy right next to me that's biting my hand frequently, going through the teething process. So we're going to have some fun here. I'm a, I'm a versatile podcaster. Um, it's funny because I feel like I talked to you guys um, a little bit about the Thompson twins, like just before the meeting and, and, and all that stuff. And you guys were clearly leaning one way. And I was like, I don't. I don't know if it's as far that way as maybe some others. Now I understand um, we did the episode on Amanda Thompson. Like I love him. I, I mean, we started, we're recording this on the day that they're playing overseas. They're playing mega and then looked fantastic to start out the game. I was like, okay, he looks really good. But a sort of like kept impressing me because I feel like everyone's going to think one of them is a very incredible passer with outstanding vision and i think it's i'm not saying he's not but i think with the men it's the flash the flash is going to get a lot of people and their feelings with the highlights and stuff but i i, I watched the story and i was like he he makes really really good plays they're just not going to stand out as much as a men so people are automatically going to be like oh well a men's way better player way better passer and i think there was a lot that i saw with am I saying his name right, Metcalf? Because people are just ruining me about <laughs> names lately. Um, I, yeah, I, I believe it's pronounced Asar. No, God, not, see, now, see? now you're in my head about it. I gotta bring you down with me. You oh, know, it's like the Titanic. If you know, captain goes down with the ship. Anyways, I mean, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Anyways, um, we'll call him AS or AT. No, I can't do that because they're both AT. Shit. All right. Um, I'm all over the place. But anyways, let's focus here. Um, he he makes a lot of great reads. I kind of liked how he seemed more under control at times on both sides of the floor. I felt like I liked the energy and the activity defensively. We'll talk about that. But I thought the shot looked a lot better to me um, than his, bro- his twin brother. I thought it was just smoother. It looked like it had a better kind of foundational piece, but um, I'm intrigued with him. And it seems like I'm kind of the, you know, I'm like Jack Sparrow getting left on the island with, you know, one shot and um, I got to get on a bunch of sea turtles to get off the island. But I I just was kind of like, okay, maybe there's more upside here and more intriguing tools than um, some might believe, but I'm also ready to be told that I'm crazy because, you know, I can only watch so much overtime elite film. No offense to the, you know, faithful overtime elite staff that we enjoy and appreciate. But um, what about you? Hit, hit me with some thoughts because I, I just, it was one of those, you know, film sessions. I kind of left. I was like, I don't, I don't know if it's, I have weird feelings. And, and yeah. we, we've talked about this before. That happens a couple of times and you need to circle back and kind of take your time with evaluating throughout the year. And, and that's how I felt about watching him. Yeah, and I, I think what you mentioned about the flash kind of versus the substance was really important. And um, not not saying that Amen, you know, doesn't have a lot of substance to his game. He does. It's just a lot 
flashier and our stars is a little more understated, but the result often tends to be the same. Like those, you know, just, I just showed some passing clips and they're just really smart reads. He's not making these acrobatic passes or anything, but he's seen the floor. He's seen how the defense collapses on him. Um, you know, where corner shooters are, where cutters are, stuff like that. And he's just making accurate passes. They're not no look one-handed live dribble whip passes or anything like that, but he sees the guy, he makes the pass. It's on target. It's on time and it's the right move. So I, I think he's, I think that basketball IQ that we talked about with the amen on uh, the offensive side carries over for Alsar too. I, I think he's a really smart player who sees the floor really well. Um, obviously, the biggest difference between the two is that Alsar is more of an off-ball wing, whereas amen is more, you know, has a higher likelihood, I'd say, of being that primary point guard, ball handler, whatever you want to label it as. And Alsar is mostly off-ball. Um so when when you kind of frame it like that, I think Amen still has the higher upside, but I also think he has a wider range of outcomes where Alsar's ability to kind of fit into that off-ball wing role and be a good defender, be, you know, a good ball mover, be a good um, off-ball scorer, I think his the likelihood that he fits into that role is higher than Amen reaching this, you know, superstar upside that a lot of people are placing on him. So you, you're kind of leaning a little towards me of like, it's not as like one's not right now to you ranked like fifth and the other one's 14th. Um, well, Oh gosh, here we go. Nick have going to actually be like, well, actually I've had a board uh, ranking nine, for five months. Nine and 13. Yeah. See, like I, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I it's close to me. Um, like I'm, I, I might have even still had a man a higher, but I was like, okay, I could see a world where one kind of starts trending to get ahead of the other. And and I'm not trying to make this episode only just comparing them to, but right. that's what everyone's going to do because it's a unique position that we get to watch two potential lottery prospects that happen to be twin brothers on the same team all year. Um, so I'm just intrigued to see kind of what he continues to show because I think there is – a lot of similarities in their game, but there's also a lot of differences I saw and um, some areas I was more intrigued with the other than, you know, it's just, I love it. I love the scouting process, but this is a a nice little challenge because everyone's going to be like mad scientist mode and be like, well, I want to pick each part of their games and combine them. But it's like, okay, which one, what's, what's your flavor? What's your taste? Cause it also will be fascinating. um, You know, in the, in the draft, when the draft comes, like what, it's going to be fit dependent for sure with these two guys. Cause they have their specialties, they have their weaknesses and they're both a little different. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about outsiders scoring here real quick. And I was generally impressed with it. I thought it sounds like you're a little higher on the shot than I am. I think it has a ton of work to do both off the catch and off the pull up. Um, I thought it was pretty brutal all around. Um, Kind of like his brother, he got to the rim pretty much whenever he wanted. Uh, there were some inconsistencies with his at-rim finishing, but I thought I was way more encouraged by it than with Amen. I thought he had better touch with both hands and kind of finished it more consistently at different angles. Um, but still, you know, handful of missed layups that he should be making, especially with his athleticism. Um, but I mean, his balance, his 
footwork, his touch, his ability to really quickly change directions and finish at the rim in different ways, I thought was incredibly impressive. Yeah, um, I think the touch around the basket kept um, having me kind of come back to him. Uh, And it was just something that I was like, the touch, the feel, that's making me a little bit more comfortable compared to like his brother because his brother just had some erratic misses. But there was just some flashes here that I was very intrigued with. And um, I I just – but both of them, their shots are all over the place. Um, and, and they're going to need to take some strides and watching that scrimmage today. I thought already, you know, Eamon's shot looked a little bit better. But we'll see how it goes throughout the entire year. But it, it, it really just is – I feel like when you're when you're that type of athlete, I feel better when you have the ability to drive, but you can also finish with some touch and creativity because there's some guys that just struggle to develop game, right? Like game rep touch throughout their career. And if you're a young guy and you have that already, I feel a lot better than if you're just like, okay, I'm this super athlete, but I drive and someone cuts me off. I'm in trouble when it comes to finishing, but I'm like you, there's some, there's some mistakes. There's some missable layups and stuff. He's got to get corrected, but it's just really a, a puzzling debate between the two of them. Um, but I just, I, I, I don't know. Let's keep going, Macau, because there's an area of his game I was very intrigued with that I want to talk to you about. Uh, is, is it the defense? Yes. Go. No, I, I want to hear what you say first to see if I agree with you. I thought, like on that drive, I thought there were some, there was some laziness to his on-ball D where he would just try those like reach around pokes um, and like, reach across his body with the wrong hand for a steal but generally i love the defense um i thought on ball really good footwork not afraid of contact great hands when he didn't make those clumsy reaches um and then i thought his off ball uh defense was way more consistent and kind of refined than amens um i thought his you know rotations as a shot blocker were a lot more consistent and disciplined and they weren't just him hunting shots but instead making the right play and helping his teammates out. So I, I really, really liked his defense. I like it. It was the part of his game that I was more intrigued with when I was talking about like comparing him and his brother. Um, I saw him defensively and I was like, "Uh Oh, I really like his defense. I thought it's just a lot more activity. It, it looks like it's going to be potentially a strength of his game. And um, I, I just liked all the foundational tools. I, it, it looked more in tune and he looked more engaged constantly. And there was yeah. just frequent activity. And that's where I was like, there's a desire here to be a lockdown defender. There's a desire to be competing. And um, I'm not saying a man can't play defense. I'm just saying like with him, you could see that he's a little bit more of a coaster. And I really do feel like with the SAR, I was just like, okay, I really, really like how he's playing his activity yeah, he can get a little lazy. He's going to clean up some stuff, but it seems way more like desire to do this. Mm-hmm. So Metcalf, you're going to have to go on a rant now because my dog's about to pee in the middle of the carpet. So there oh, you go. <laughs> no, I, I, so I, I thought the biggest difference was that with the off-ball defense, the, you know, Asar is honed in and he's keeping his himself between 
the ball and his man, and he's making these really smart, well-timed rotations. He's consistent with his positioning. It's something that he clearly takes pride in, and when a shot goes up, he doesn't just turn and watch. You know, he's boxing out or making the rotation or, you know, hitting a body, whereas amen, it's just kind of stand still, upright, watch the ball, let's see how it caroms off the rim. If it comes to me, we'll run in transition. Otherwise, who knows what happens? And Asar was always engaged off ball. And, you know, a lot of those weak side blocks are like, holy crap, that's impressive. But they're also not just him chasing blocks or chasing steals. It's him moving his feet on defense, being balanced, you know, reading and reacting to where the ball goes, where the ball handler moves, how they dribble, um, and just kind of having that better sense of where he needs to be one to two passes ahead of, you know, where the ball currently is. Do you see there's a world where Asar gets above Amen in terms of the draft? The I only way is if the shot takes a serious improvement, I think, because I, I, I think the on-ball creation, scoring, playmaking upside that Amen has um, is pretty significantly ahead of Asar, and I just see um, NBA teams selling themselves on that superstar potential that I think Amen has because of that on-ball stuff. Um more than what they would see in Asar, who I think is going to be pigeonholed into pretty much um, a a role player kind of slot who plays really good team defense, uh, can move the ball and slash on offense. But if the shot never really improves to a substantial level, then he becomes really difficult to play. Yeah, I I agree. If the shot came around, we're talking about a whole another prospect, but I could see Eamon still has the, I think the higher upside, the higher potential to potentially be like a really, really dang good basketball player at the next level. But I, I still think like a could be a really nice piece, like someone that really, really helps your team take that next level. You're potentially playing them, you know, as a complimentary piece in playoff series and crunch time minutes, just because he can make the right read. He can, make defensive stops. He's got that athleticism. Um, he's got the size. So it's just a, it's just a fascinating little thing. Cause I also, now I'm more intrigued to watch them throughout the year because you see the foundation of tools and skills that they have. But I think there's also another level that both of these guys can reach. And, yes. you know, we talked about this on the Amen episode. We were like, they need to go out and dominate this year. And I still believe that, like, especially not just Amen. They both need to. They both need to show some serious stuff. And um, it's going to be interesting to to kind of have a feel. But I still want to go back and watch more, more film on him now because I still, like, think I'm still puzzled. Like, I still believe like maybe there's a higher ceiling for a sir that I'm, I'm not realizing, or maybe it's uh maybe I'm wrong. You know, I don't say I'm always right folks. Maybe I'm wrong and everybody else is right. Yeah. So I'm, I, I think one of the biggest things that differed between their two seasons at OTE last year, and I think it's really important to make note of is how different their roles were and what they were kind of afforded to do where Amen was given the ball. He was initiating the offense 90% of the time. I sure didn't get that chance. So I know growing up 
like going through high school, EYBL, all that kind of stuff. That was kind of similar to the roles they had played. But I I really want to see this year Asur be given the, you know, capacity to initiate the offense, to act as that primary ball handler and creator to see if that is a route that he can kind of go down as well. Because if he can prove that and prove that he's adept at doing that, then I think that kind of expands the role of what he could be in the NBA. Whereas right now, you know, he's just kind of playing off ball and allowing Bryce Griggs to initiate the offense. And, you know, no offense to Bryce Griggs, but that was not my favorite experience. I love, we're going to get you a Bryce Griggs Jersey for your (laughs) wedding gift. Um, No, I mean, this is the tough part about the overtime elite and I'm not trying to slander them, but, this is why I love the G League Ignite is because the Ignite focus on developing guys. Yeah. Um, I know they're competing. I know they're playing the games and they're keeping score, but the Ignite's goal is to get these guys ready to potentially play not at the NBA level, but maybe they play overseas, you know, get them developed for the next step in their basketball career. The elite, if they want to, take that next step in this league of development and kind of be running with the big boys. They need to have that primary focus too. And I'm saying they need to showcase both. And then Anasar, as like you're saying, put the ball in their hands, run plays to get them as the pick and roll facilitator. And no one cares if you guys are winning the games. Right. I don't give a shit. If the team elite goes 10 and 0 this year, I don't care. I'm sorry for all those guys. Like I get, developed show progress and get like ready to take the next step as an NBA player. And those coaches got to know, you got to swallow some pride and do the same thing too. Like put those guys in position to succeed and playing one off the ball the entire time. Is that really helping him? If, if that's his right. weakness, that's not helping him. You're just hiding his weakness and then it's going to get exposed even more at the next level. So like you need to work on their weaknesses. So you know, it's not throwing a bunch of guys to the wolves. And um, I'm like you, like put him on the ball. Let's see what he can do. Maybe there's more to his game that we're not realizing. Maybe um, we see another level untapped. It, it, it'd be really, really interesting. Metcalf, yeah, you're I, back on the rant. I got I got puppy <laughs> duty. This is what we do, folks. I got to I got to be versatile. But and that's what we talked about all last year with the G League Ignite and Jaden Hardy, where they put him in uncomfortable positions to grow his game. And that's what we saw from him early in the season. He really struggled and everyone, you know, jumped ship on him. And obviously, yes, he still went in the second round, but he got a lot of those on ball reps that he wasn't necessarily comfortable with against better defenders and better competition, but it improved his game and he improved throughout the season. And then, You know, then he took a step back a little more into more of an off-ball role. And then we saw him really succeeding in running off screens and then using that experience that he had on ball to kind of pivot into an off-ball playmaker by, you know, executing these DHOs and running off screens and then creating that by getting downhill and doing that kind of stuff. And we just don't see that from the OTE, or at least in year one we haven't. It's only year one. Hopefully they make a pivot in year two and start putting – Asar more on ball, start making him do things that he may not be 100% comfortable with and it may not make all of the highlight film, but it will make him a better player because he'll get experience in areas that he's not used to. And that's the only way these guys ever get better, whether it's at basketball or writing or 
you know, video, whatever it is, you have to make yourself uncomfortable. And that's the only way to improve. And, you know, when we talk about a man, I would like to see him even off ball more. I'd like to see, can, can this guy figure out how to cut, how to time offensive rebounds, how to run off screens and then create, you know, by using screens to get downhill and not just out of the pick and roll in isolation, because in the NBA, if that's all he can do, okay, cool. You're an easy guard. I'm going to go under every screen and dare you to shoot. And once you're, once you give up the ball, you're an easy guard. Cause I know you're not moving. So I just really hope that both of these guys get made uncomfortable this year. I hope they're allowed to do things that they're not used to doing and put into different roles and situations that we really haven't seen them primarily in. You, my, my best life or my best life advice that I've ever gotten and ever experienced is you have got to get out of your comfort zone to grow. That's exactly what they got to do. You got to get out of your comfort zone. If you're going to become a better basketball player, you have to work on areas of your game. That is not your strengths. Um, you know, their shot was not a strength last year. So they've probably spent the entire off season working on their shot. And it's not just that they got to work on other aspects of their game. You have to demonstrate that because these guys might be gifted passers and playmakers and stuff, but you know, they're not going to get drafted and be like, here's the keys to the car. You, you run the show right away. You know, what if that team is, you know, the Pelicans and they got CJ McCollum and stuff. And it's like, you're not going to get, they're not going to say, Hey, CJ, give the ball to him pr- all yeah. the time. It's, it's his show now. Like, no. Um, and I'm just using a hypothetical, but it's just going to be really interesting because this is where you get, you walk a fine line. It's like walking the plank. I feel like on a pirate ship, it's, it's just the idea of the Thompson twins is really damn exciting. Yeah. Like it, it is really yes. fun and it's fun to, you get excited as an evaluator, but those guys don't always work as as high as it, it, the. It's not always a home run with those guys because their weaknesses can really be dangerous weaknesses at the NBA level. Um, now you could probably hide them with the right team, um, or you can deal with them. Like uh, you know, we're, we've we joked about like Ben Simmons. You know how he's so damn good. Not a threat from outside, but he's so damn special. And he's 6'10". He's got incredible playmaking vision. Locks up on defense. Very important areas to have. Um, But you better be able to bring it at a high level if you can't be a threat from the outside. And and that's where we're at with both of these twins. They have a lot of freakish tools. They have a lot of special gifts. But they got to get... One, you got to get something else. If you're not going to have that shot, you got to have something else, or you got to have some elite skills that are going to make you stick around and have a really long career. Yeah, because the the threshold for being a dominant ball handler in the NBA is so fucking high. Yes, and just because we see freak athletes who can dominate at lower levels like college and OTE and G League ignite, like that doesn't mean that it's just naturally going to translate because the guys that they're going to have to beat out did the exact same thing at their level and are pinned into off ball roles and complementary roles. You have to be so fucking good. And I'm not saying these guys can't get to that spot, but when we talk about elite and generational and best prospects since X, like this is what we're talking about. And it's just, 
it's almost unrealistic expectations because if the sh- we hate just saying, oh, well, if the shot comes around, but if the shot co- doesn't come around, then all of these, t- you know, little nitpicky things that we we're talking about when we we're evaluating these guys, they have to be perfect in them because just having a decent shot affords you so much more room for error. And if you are just a complete non-shooter, like both of these guys currently are, we'll see, you know, as these games roll out, what their, you know, adjustments over the summer look like. But as of now, I I would label them as complete non-shooters, which means they have to be absolutely perfect in every other aspect of the game because there is no room for error when it comes to, you know, earning playing time. I mean, this is just the first two players I'm thinking off the top of my head, but it's it's kind of the similar storyline with them, and, and it's two drastic you know, differences, you know, we just, we just talked about Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, six ten, absolute special passer with incredible vision, very dangerous defender, very, very versatile. Like those are all incredible, you know, abilities that he had up to basically his resume to be like, Hey, I can't sh- shoot. I'm not going to be shooting 38% from three, but look at everything else I can do. Right. Um, Rajon Rondo, wasn't a shooter, was a brilliant basketball mind. And when he was with the Celtics early on in his career, you know, he was playing with, you know, three Hall of Famers and teams would play off him, but he had such good passing vision and understanding of where the lapses in the defense were going to be, where he would literally attack specific windows in the defense to create a passing angle. And Rondo was a gifted ball handler, passer, scrappy defender, brilliant mind. So we're talking about all these really high skills and, you know, intangibles with both of those guys to make up for them not being a great shooter. Now, the Thompson Twins are 6'7". They have crazy bounce. Yes. And they look like they're going to have some really good playmaking vision. They got some defensive upside. But you got to be able to bring it at a high level. Putting them as generational... I mean, we. I think we threw this jokingly around the group chat for no ceilings, and I was like, I don't mean to be an asshole, but I only think there was two generational prospects. I think it was LeBron and Luca, and yeah. I I know that can be an argument, but I always joke and I say I'm the buzzkill of the group because I'm like, no, you can go down. And, I mean, Zion maybe when we're talking about athleticism, Zion you could probably throw that in there, but generational is a term that's thrown way too loosely right now. Generational is supposed to be like a more rare than a fucking unicorn. Yeah. Shout out Chris Dobbs Porzingis. But you know what I'm trying to say? And it's like saying that these guys are, no, no, they're not. They're not. And that's all respect to the Thompson twins. Heck of a pair of prospects. They're not generational. Yeah. And I, I I feel like we've pivoted a little too negative and I, I don't want that to be the case. We're, I think we're just trying to properly establish expectations and, you know, where they need or where we would like to see them improve on. And if they don't, what could happen? Because we see freak athletes come through the NBA draft process all the time. Now, I think these guys have a much higher basketball IQ than a lot of those guys who, you know, have flamed out. Um, I think their passing vision it far surpasses what a lot of those guys did. Um, but we see a lot of those kind of similar inconsistencies with effort and rotations and timing on defense because they are so freakish athletically that 
they can afford to be a step late because it doesn't matter. It's never mattered up to this point. In the NBA, it matters because all of those guys are, you know, much closer when it comes to burst and strength and speed. So those windows, that margin for error, it's all smaller and you have to be perfect. I, I'm, don't want to seem like I'm just ragging on these guys, but the reason that I'm trying to be a little negative is because I'm trying to be like, let's stop putting these unrealistic expectations on them right now. They have a lot of work to do as prospects, but and I hate when people do that. It's putting Killian Hayes number one on a big board. It's putting, um, it's just hyping Imani Bates as the next Kevin Durant. Like it's unfair to these guys, and and I'm not saying as I just said before not saying that these guys aren't really good prospects. There's probably going to be lottery picks or, or, or won't even reach the heights that, you know, they potentially could. Yes. Um, and like, they're probably gonna be lottery picks. There's a chance they're both top 10 picks. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about this in the beginning of the year, but I'm just saying, putting them as like this, Holy crap. They're up here with everyone, you know, with the, with the, the bronze, the Lucas, the Zions. It's like, relax, guys, um, but they're, they're really exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to watch them throughout the year. Um, I just kind of realized in my head that what that means of, you know, I'm gonna have to watch it on mute again. I have to do it. Um, <laughs> can we get like Gus Johnson to go do overtime elite games? Now we're talking. He's probably got some free time to do that, right? Yeah, I, bring I don't think he has anything on this. No, sport. it's not like there's a couple other sport leagues going on right now. Um, that's all. That's all I got, Brother Thompson. I don't want it to be sound like I'm negative on on the twins, but I'm just kind of trying to get more realistic with the with the whole crew. You know no, what they are, Metcalf. This is my last thought. Yeah. You know what? The, you know what they're going to be. They're going to be the range of the draft of the top ten when you get out of like the really big, like exciting swings. Like and then the you start. You're like ninety percent confident will be yes, really good and, starter players. Yeah, and, and like, eh, fuck it, why not? Like a team really feels like, man, we need a playmaker. We also need some size on the wing, and they're picking like eighth, and they're going to be like, oh man, the Thompsons. Those guys have exactly what we need, but we'll we'll figure out the shot down the road. <laughs> like I'm just saying, like that's what it reminds me of. I'm not saying they're not elite prospects, but I think there's going to be guys that are going to be ahead of them that have a more, a more solid all around foundation, but the Thompson twins, people are going to be convinced of like the athleticism and the passing are really going to help us in a big way. And that's where you might fall in love with them. Absolutely. And I, I think someone else who will be, you know, high on that playmaking pool of prospects is Amari Bailey, mm-hmm. who is, um, six five, hundred eighty five pound point guard going to UCLA, and I am fascinated to hear your thoughts on him because I I am just incredibly confused by him. I saw your tweet. <laughs> I did some creeping, Metcalf. Um, I'm I don't know if I'm more excited to talk about a prospect than Amari Bailey right now with you because. I feel the exact same way. <laughs> I the the ups and downs I have during his film are just like a roller. You'd throw up on a roller coaster, hundred percent. Even the person that loves roller coasters would just be like, you know, can't do it. It's like the Tower of Terror. Um, 
I really like some parts of his game. And then I see some and I'm like, eh, I don't know. And then I see some and I'm like, okay, I like it. He, he's just kind of a, an emotional roller coaster. Wow. I've used roller coaster way too many times in lot. five minutes. Yeah. That's a lot. lot. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going to have to watch way more film. Yes. I'm, I'm, you know, Obviously. Let me get that out right away. We're, are, are, are we going to get enough film to watch? Probably not. Or is Mick Cronin going to do Mick Cronin things and bury the freshman? I don't think, I think Mick Cronin's going to like him because he's going to be a, I think he's going to be a guy that makes extra play. Like, I don't know where to start. So he makes, he has this weird combination and it, it, I can't stand it. Um, he has like the sneaky athleticism mm-hmm. that really pops and he's like a tip dunk guy. He makes hustle plays. And I'm like, yeah, I love this part. And then I feel like when he has the ball in his hands, I'm like, you don't look like the same athlete. Um, and then he's got bounce. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> like like he's catching I'm- like backdoor lobs, but then – is like grazing the rim on transition dunks. It's so fascinating to me. Like he's got, and then I watch him and I'm like, okay. Cause he's what? Six, four, six, five. Uh, listed at six, five, one eighty five. I feel like I looked that up on five websites while watching his film. And I was like, every site's lying to me. <laughs> Cause it, it, he doesn't play. He doesn't look like that to me. He looks like he's six, two, six, three. Um, I don't know what his wingspan is off the top of my head, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a very big, like plus three, plus four. And just with the ball in his hands, I thought he had like a couple drives where he's, he's short striding and I'm just puzzled. And and I always have this theory about like, if you're a lefty going in the NBA, I feel like you don't have, like I always joke, I'm like, name me 10 lefties off the top of your head in the NBA or all-time lefty, and I get to like Michael Red, and I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> really scraping the barrel. But I like how he plays. Um, he seems tough. He seems like he's going to be this guy that you go back and forth with every week when you're evaluating, like, okay, really like how Amari Bailey played, or um, I don't know. I, I just got some questions. What are you, where, where were you at? What made you so puzzled? Because I saw your tweet and I was like, well, Mick, have you? You found a puzzle, huh? And then I watched and I was like, shit, I'm there too. I get it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, the, this play is perfect where he gets the switch, really good ball handling, really good footwork, you know, has beats the defender like four different times, sets up this awesome step back, doesn't take it, instead decides to drive, great dump off pass, but he's out of control, commits the charge. And it's like you had a million opportunities to do something positive and you just kept trying to do too much. And that's what it always felt like where it's, he is really skilled with the ball in his hands. I I think he's a really impressive ball handler. I, some of his passes I thought were really, really impressive. Um, I I even think he's going to be a good shooter. But whenever he tried to create something, it was always too much. It was taking the extra dribble. It was, you know, trying to beat the guy for the third time instead of settling for the mid-range pull-up on the second time. And that never kind of ended up in something positive. Um, So I, I think the individual skill is 
obvious with him, but the kind of just understanding of, you know, just, just take what's easy. Like it's okay to play simple. Playing simple a lot of the times is the best decision. Obviously you need some of that skill, that flash, that flair, but so frequently guys try to make it a lot harder on themselves. And it seemed like that's what he was doing over and over and over and over again, which was just so frustrating. It it definitely one of my least favorite things um, is like when you dribble 15 times and you haven't moved. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like a, you know, I feel like an old man from like the seventies, you know, yelling at someone to not play, to play basketball, like the old school way, whenever I get annoyed with that, but it's just, it's just dribbling with how, you know, movement. It's just like, okay, you start in the same spot, you know, he has a couple of drives where I think he's going to have to be this guy that he's not going to blow by everyone with his first step, but I think he's going to just be able to pick you apart and break you down. But I also feel like he has some times where exactly like you're saying, he makes things a little too complicated. He he tries to do too much. But sometimes it works for him, and he makes some gorgeous reads, some gorgeous passes. That exact same game, um, I watched that game, and I think he makes a beautiful drive. When they, I think it might have been even like tied or something, and he makes a beautiful drive and throws a gorgeous kick out to the corner, yeah. and guy hits a three to or win it or something like that. Um and I was like, that is a very, very impressive play because, mm-hmm. you know, you got to take in that moment for him. He was probably like, hey, it's my year. This is my team. Big, They need me in the moment. And he didn't force. He kicked out. Guy was wide open, hit a three. So there's some flashes that you like. There's just also some decision-making where I'm like, ooh, don't know about that one. Mick might not let you get on the court if you keep throwing those. But um, – he's just one of those where I feel like you, you take the negatives and you take the positives and you kind of lean each way. And you're like, Hey, that's just kind of what we're getting. Cause he does uh, do a lot of stuff where I like his energy, his effort. Um, the mentality looks great. He looks like he's just going to be a fighter and that might be perfect at UCLA. Yeah. I, I think obviously we don't know the kids. So, but I think a lot of this is could kind of, pivot on how coachable is he and how stuck in his ways with some of these bad habits is he going to be, or is he going to be willing to be like, Oh, okay, no, I get what you're saying. Like I need to do this instead of that. And something that really impressed me with him was kind of how positionally flexible he is, where he can play on ball. He can play off ball. I thought he was a solid off ball shooter. They ran him off screens for like backdoor lobs a lot too. Um, obviously, I don't think he's going to be doing much of that at UCLA with just the disparity and athleticism and size and all that stuff. But I don't think he's solely pigeonholed into being just a point guard where he can, he's more of this kind of combo guard who can play on, can play off. Um, I thought he kind of moved fine without the ball. I thought the shot looked solid. So with this UCLA team that you know, Mick loves playing his upperclassmen and playing more experienced guys. He's going to have to play a little more off ball and be put in those roles. And I don't think it's going to be an uncomfortable, you know, adjustment for him because it's something he did at Sierra Canyon and looked pretty comfortable and consistent with. I would lock him in a a locker room and make him watch Jalen Brunson Nova clips for three hours. Um, 
I like his game and he's got this he's like, you know, I said he looked small on tape, but if he is six five, if he can play both positions, if he has that ball handling ability, if all of a sudden, you know, his shot is consistent, um, he's got that pop to to make some plays above the rim. He's got that energy to kind of keep possessions alive. He has a lot of good stuff that teams are looking for. And um, you know, I know Amari was a very hyped prospect um, playing at, you know, Sierra Canyon and generating all that buzz in Southern California. But this is a guy that I think like, we'll see how his first year goes. That UCLA team is going to have a lot of, of really good pieces again. Um, I think Tiger Campbell's back. Um, who's, who's our boy at no ceilings. Um, gosh, Hame Hawkes. We have some very degenerate Hame Hawkes truth truthers out there at no ceiling. Shout out Corey. Who else? Nick. Yeah. Nick's there. So the team's going to be good again. Um, and, and what I'm getting at is I don't think it's a bad, this isn't a guy that I wouldn't rule out. Like maybe he doesn't need to be a one and done. Um, Cause you know what? Jalen Brunson played three years at Nova. He just got a very, very nice contract. Um, Amari looks like a guy that knows he has some pop and athleticism that needs the game to slow down. Like if he, if he could play more under control and understand when to use his burst and when to use his speed and stuff, I think that could go a long way with him. Cause his ball handling is impressive. Yeah. Um, and if he really is six five, six four, that's that's a good check if you can offer that versatility. Cause I'm like you, I, I was intrigued with he looks like he's got some off the ball potential. Um I feel like I saw him cut a couple times and I was like, okay, if you have this yeah. too, but they're all blur right now, Metcalf. This is what I've been missing. This it, this high of just having like thoughts all day. I feel like my fiance will be asking me, what do I want for dinner? And I'll be like, gosh, I wonder if Victor's going to be working on his post moves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what else did you got? Well, I mean, did you, what did you think of his defense or, or where, where else are you puzzled? You take it over. Cause I feel like we're in a therapy session now because I don't know the last time you told me you were puzzled with a prospect like this. Yeah. I, I, I thought his defense was good enough. Um, it, it felt like a high school kid playing defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought some of the flashes that he showed with like his weak side rotations and off ball communication and movement, um, I thought it was promising. It was like, okay, there, there's something here to work on there. You know, now there's a lot of gambling, a lot of ball watching that was going on, but you know, I dare you to put on a high school game and, show me a player that doesn't do that a handful of times throughout a game. Um, so it, it, it didn't feel bad. It didn't feel great. Um, but it felt good enough where it's like, okay, this guy knows kind of what he's supposed to be doing. Does he always do it? Not necessarily, but he's smart enough where, okay, he knows the rotation. He knows once the ball goes here, then it's probably going to go there and he needs to be here, you know? So I think with, you know, Mick Cronin, I think that's going to be really important for him because Mick doesn't play guys who don't defend generally. And I think just that I'd never thought that he was an unwilling defender. It never felt like something that he just didn't want to do. Um, so I, I think there's a good enough defender there that can be passable. I don't think he's going to be winning any defensive accolades throughout his college or pro career, but I also don't think we're, he's going to be one of these guys where we look at him and be like, oh, my God, this guy is just actively killing this team on defense. 
Definitely. Uh, he's going to the right place if he wants to get his uh, defense to go to another level because Mick will get him tuned up in a hurry or he'll be like, you know, we just had a good defender. He didn't play that much last year. Look look where he's at now. And Peyton Watson's going to be like, yeah, it was a first-round pick. Thanks, Mick. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, he's going to go also to a place where, like, Pac-12 is going to be another dogfight this year, and you better be bringing it. You know, he's going to have a lot of talent he's going up against on a nightly basis, so you can't just always coast. And UCLA is going to have a, a bit of a squad again. Um, they can do some stuff this year. They, they, they got some, some good pieces, but I personally felt the same way. I, I, I left his film defensively. like, this is a high school defender. I, I like some stuff. I, some stuff looks like it's a senior in high school. That's, you know, realizing his final days are here. And, um, that's where you have to start kind of making note of specific skill sets um, or tools or fundamentals with someone and then being like, oh, okay, let's see what happens when the speed turns up a little bit and the competition's way higher. And, um, but it wasn't something that I watched and I was like, oh crap. It was just <laughs> yeah, like, okay, there, exactly. there's, there's, there's positives. Now the positives needs to be more consistent. Yep. All right. So besides just getting minutes, what are your hopes for Amari Bailey this year? What do you want to see from him? <sighs> It's tough because he's just one of these. um, He's one of those prospects where I feel like you, you don't really know. Like, I don't know where to put his, his range right now. Like when it, and I don't know if I'm going to just like, I I tell some guys sometimes I I struggle to get what I'm trying to say out with words. That's why I'm usually better with writing. I don't know what his ceiling is. Um, I don't know if he is a potential starting off guard, off ball guard in the NBA. I don't know if he's a jumbo point guard. I don't know if he's a heck of a sixth man. I don't, I don't know if he's the Jalen Brunson clone with the, that's a little stretched out. I, I don't know if he's the change of pace guard. Like that's kind of where I'm puzzled with him. I am trying to, see what's the long-term upside here. And and unfortunately with it's either you can watch more film or you're going to just have to wait for him to get lined up against the big boys. And I think that's, that's what I'm going to have to do. And that's probably also like, this is a guy that I usually will circle in the beginning of the year. And I'll be like, this might need a trip. I might need a trip to go watch this in person until we get to the point where I can just go watch everyone in person. Um, and the way you can help that is by subscribing to no ceilings. It's absolutely free. But that's where I'm at Metcalf. He's he's one of my – I feel like I make a list this time of the year or when the season's starting, and I kind of make a point of like, I'm going to struggle with this guy. I need to go see him. And Amari Bailey's up there pretty quickly of uh, I need to go see what the what the buzz is all about. Because like we've said before, you know, watching on tape is one thing, but getting an evaluation in person is a whole other world. Absolutely. And what about I, you? I, Don't ask me the questions. But I, you're puzzled. Let's ask you. This is most important to ask you. What What do you need to see to get? I feel like you're waiting to see where the stock price goes before your investment. So where, where do you need to see from Amari Bailey to be like, you know what? I'm on the, the positive side of the fence. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Um, probably just an improvement with like the consistency of his decision-making where he recognizes when he has a guy beat 
and then doesn't try to beat them again and again and again, where it's like, oh, this awesome crossover into a step back that I just created seven feet of space for. Yeah, I should probably shoot this three instead of crossing over and driving again. So just kind of stuff like that. I think he's a really talented ball handler, really um, really smart passer, really skilled passer. And I, I think the scoring game is promising. I think the shot's good enough. Um, you know, I want to see a little more of that. I'd like to see him be a little more willing to shoot off or off, off the bounce um, just to kind of get a better sense, you know, selfishly to get a better sense of where that's at. But I thought his mechanics were pretty sound. Um, I, I just got a lot of D'Angelo Russell vibes from him. And I'm not trying to that's say that good one. just because the lefty, um, but this kind of herky-jerky ball handling ability to get to his spots um, and, you know, can play on or off ball, really skilled, doesn't always translate to the team success and, you know, making those right decisions all the time. Um, obviously, if he ends up having D'Angelo Russell's career, that's a hell of a career. But it's also going to be a really polarizing one. So um, that, that that's kind of the vibe of where of what I got from him. That's a really good one. And I agree with you. It's not just because of the lefty thing, but I kind of I understand what you're saying with like the herky jerky and um also people forget like D'Lo at Ohio State was a very fun prospect. Um and even for Minnesota right now, he's a really good player. I you know, his contract doesn't necessarily align with his production and I'm not trying to get in the guy's pockets, go get paid. But that's where a lot of the criticism with a lot of these guys comes from where it's like, Oh my God, this guy's making 30 million a year where it's like, okay, if he was making 22, no one would, you know, give a shit, but that's what happens with top five draft picks. Now I would be pretty surprised if Amari is a top five or top 10 necessarily draft pick, but if he goes in the twenties and you're getting a D'Lo esque career from him, that's incredible value. Yeah. I agree with you. Right now, I would be shocked if he was a top seven player. And that's not a, 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 I'm not trying to slander him. I'm just saying from every other prospect I've watched right now, I think there's a lot more. There's some dogs in this class. And there's some guys that, no offense to Amari, there's some guys that can do some holy crap stuff in a lot of areas. And I think he is one of those guys though, that maybe he's a late lottery guy with a really good year. Maybe he's a very intriguing um, piece. Um, it, like if he, if what Metcalf just said, if you're getting him in the twenties right now, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, great. Yeah. Yep. Great roll the dice because there's just, he looks like a guy that's going to need to, like I said, slow the game down, but he just needs the rest of his game to kind of sort of gel together. And, um, I think you're spot on with the biggest thing I came away from is like, he needs to be more consistent with limiting the errors. He he'll have a couple stretches in games where he looks really impressive. And then he makes a pass and I'm like, well, where was that going? Like, you know, I, I feel like he, maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm getting games mixed up, but I feel like he'd made a, a pick and roll pass and he threw it. And it was like three guys, like defenders. And I was like, where, where were we going with that? Like, and it's just, you got to get rid of those. If you can be a, a – that's why I'm saying slow the game down, make better decisions, be more consistent, and then you're really going to get some teams falling in love with you because they're – you don't have to be a 20-point-per-game guy. Like, if you if a team drafts you and they're convinced, like, hey, damn good basketball player with good size can give us versatility on both guard spots, ball handler, feisty. Yeah, it's checking a lot of boxes in a hurry. 
All right. Green room update time. Either yeah, this is a big tough one. Um, I think Amari's out. Agreed. Okay. Um, feel bad for him. The text didn't go through. Um, bad service, but I don't think he's there yet. But I mean, he, he's an LA kid, so he's probably just hanging out at the beach, anyways. With the you know, he left the phone in the bag. He's out just enjoying the sun. Yeah, I mean, he might be at the beach. He might be at the beach at night, you know, a little bonfire <laughs> action. Um, he's like, yeah, exactly. The club was last week. I don't need to go this week. Yeah, and he's let's change just, it up. He's just hanging out. Yeah, he's you know just just vibing, trying to. He's trying to get in tune with his LA vibes a little bit deeper because he's like, all right, now I'm a UCLA boy. Um, he's probably hanging out with Bill Walton, you know, going through like initiation or stuff like that, you know, off on a very lucrative NIL photo shoot. Yeah. There you go. All good. All good things. Hanging out with Bronny, stuff like that. Um, all right. What do you think? I'm going to say no for us, sir. Yeah. I'm going to say no. All right. And it's devastating for his brother. Just devastating. He's like, why can't my a men's in the club, and he's more rattled that his brother can't get in. So he's trying to like grease up the bouncer and be like, "Come on, man! You know we were here last night. You remember us?" And the bouncer's like, "Yeah, I had your brother broke three things. You know, so he's you know security risk." All be, being serious though, he has a shot. We're just he's, filling he's up close. fast. He's, he's yeah, close. yeah, he's he's close. We're just filling. Filling up fast, so I can't be saying yes to everyone. Exactly. We, we, we just need to see some improvements. And if we do, if we see some of this domination and that we're hoping for, and even if it's just steps in the right direction and more consistency in different areas and some you know domination, or if we even just see him start being uncomfortable, like we were talking about earlier, and playing more on ball and getting more of that, you know, more of those repetitions, who knows? Give us, do you have the list in front of you? I need an update. I feel like the listeners need an update each time we do this. Yeah. So obviously only 14 spots available and we currently have Victor Wembanyama, Derek Whitehead, Juris Walker, Scoot Henderson, Cam Whitmore, and Amen Thompson. That's a pretty, pretty damn good list so far. Um, You know, while we're on it, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit real quick. What did you think about the news about Victor versus Scoot? Um, I'm going to do everything in my power to go to those games. So hopefully I'm going to do a live podcast with you from my immediate reactions. Um, I don't care if I have to go Maximus in gladiator mode to get into the doors, but I'm pulling some strings, working hard. A couple little birdies are helping me out. So your boy will be there one way or another. Well, what'd you think? Are, are, are you, are you excited about it? Are you, uh, it's just interesting. It's just funny because yeah. I'm like, are we going to be doing this now? This is what they should be doing. Yes, they should be getting every international guy over here. Why not? Why? Why would we not do this? Um, it's only going to make basketball the products like bigger. Why don't they do a? They should do a damn preseason tournament with the ignite and all international prospects. Boom, silver. Call us. We'll come cheap. <laughs> Um, I, I, I love the idea. I think it's really smart. Why not? And I, and if, if Victor's going to be as big as some people, you know, are selling him as then get him over here on us televisions immediately. So you can sell him 
just from a marketing standpoint, the the amount of international talent year over year is astounding. And, you know, if if we predict the next 10 MVPs, how many are going to international guys? And the, the NBA hasn't done a great job of marketing these international guys. Now, a lot of the time, they don't, you know, that's on them and they they just have different priorities and who knows, but the NBA hasn't been great at marketing these international guys. So I think it's a step in the right direction to do that with Victor. Um, just from a basketball standpoint, I, I think it's going to be a re- really fun. I think it's going to be a great showcase for a lot of really promising young talent and Scoot and Victor have been hyped up as potential number one picks in this draft for what feels like four years. And we're finally going to get to see them play one-on-one. Um, when I looked at the dates and saw that they were on a Tuesday and Thursday, I was furious. Cause I was like, God, I like, you know, I was thinking, okay, I, I'll find some way to swing a, a quick weekend Vegas trip and um, can't do that on Tuesday and Thursday with work. So I was a little bummed, uh, but I, I'm just thrilled that they're televising it, that they're doing it. It's something different. And it's just another really just promising selling point for the Ignite program, I think, because they're going against pros. It's brilliant. Um, You know, they they try to do something not not similar to this, but the Ignite did this before where they had, uh, when it was Jalen Green and Kaminga, they had those scrimmages. They weren't open to the... NBA public, so like scouts were like annoyed. Yeah. Um, so I, you had to like work the the networks to try to find someone who had film of it, and it was hilarious, just like th- going down the rabbit hole before I finally got some. Yeah. But um, this is cool because it, you know they've been publicly saying like big opportunity for NBA personnel to get an eye on it. So I was like, damn it, I'm getting there. You better, you guys better open those doors, but. Uh, if they try to charge like $300 for G league tickets, I'm going to literally actually fight Adam silver kidding Adam. Um, really excited to see this though. It, it's a brilliant idea. It's great. I love that. It looks like the, the 92s are trying to do it in the beginning of their season. So hopefully we don't have a Victor injury that, um, yeah, knocking on wood too. Um, but it'll be, it'll be very, very, you know, this is going to be fun. This will be fun. And it's just funny when they announced it, I looked at the calendar and I was like, fine, I guess I'll go to Vegas. What a shocker. I was going to go anyways to watch the G league this year, but, or ignite, but I guess I'm going double time now, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Metcalf. I, I really, uh, this it, him being seven, four reportedly barefoot with an eight foot wingspan wild is Exciting I mean, and terrifying. He's literally Jack from A Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> like, it's amazing. But yeah, that's all I got for you, sir. Cool. Pl- plug away. Tell the people where they can find you. NoSeilingsNBA.com is where you'll find me living for pretty much starting next month, the whole year. Um, I'm also at Tyler underscore Rucker on Twitter. Thank you, guys. It's it's been fun. We just had our last meeting for no ceilings. Everyone's getting ready to get rocking again. We got some stuff that we're about to roll out, some exciting announcements, some news. A lot of fun stuff has been going on behind the scenes. But Metcalf, thank you as always. Congratulations on your wedding this weekend, sir. I'm very, very happy for you. 
congratulations to the future Mrs. Metcalf as well. The 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 congratulations should purely go to me because I, I am <laughs> out kicking my coverage here. But uh, <laughs> once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. Uh, you can find all of our merchandise at noceilingsnba.bigcartel.com and all of our written work at noceilingsnba.com. It's 100% free. Just click that subscribe button to ensure that you never miss anything that we publish. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at noceilingsnba where we will be rolling out some really really cool stuff that we're really proud of and really excited about um in the next couple weeks and all of that will be posted on twitter at no ceilings nba and follow us on youtube at no ceilings tv if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe leave a review and a five-star rating till next time see ya